Welcome to Total Convexity, a weekly financial podcast that caters to professional finance individuals, high net worth investors, family offices, and other sophisticated financial professionals. Join our hosts, hedge fund manager Jim Wang and Henrik Neohaus, as they explore the interconnected world of global macroeconomics, central banks, and capital markets. Comprehending the intricate web of global macroeconomics, central bank policies, and capital markets isn't just an option, it's a necessity. Whether you're a chief investment officer, financial analyst, entrepreneur, or simply someone curious about how the global economy and capital markets function, this podcast serves as your compass through the intricacies of the global financial landscape. In each episode, we will delve deep into the influential factors shaping our world, from global economic trends and central bank policies to capital markets and trading strategies. We will demystify financial jargon, clarify complex numerical data, and provide you with insights from experts in the field. Total Convexity Episode 4 is being recorded on October the 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Henrik Neuhaus. Joining me is my co-host, Jim Wang. I'm glad to return with this fourth episode of our podcast series. In the first episode, we discussed our investment and, and analytical framework, and we recommend new listeners to review the first episode first. In the second episode, we discussed interest rates and treasuries, and in the previous episode, we discussed the U.S. dollar cycle. So, Jim, what do you want to discuss this week? Hello, everyone. I'm very happy to return to the new episode. Uh, given our discussion on currencies, the U.S. dollar cycle uh, last time, and also the uh, current geopolitical situation, uh, maybe we can spend a little bit more, a little bit time on gold. What do you think? Sounds good. That's a great idea, actually. Um, about gold, well, the renowned economist, John Maynard Keynes, used to say that gold, in, in the context of finance, is a barbarous relic. Critics point out that gold does not yield anything, has, relatively speaking, only some limited use in niche electronic applications. And there are better materials than gold for fixing one's teeth. So, by and large, gold really does not have any utility other than as a uh, pretty metal for making jewelry. And mining for gold is one of the most unproductive human activities. And in many cases, even the quest for gold actually leads to environmental damage. So Jim, you do think that gold should be part of a portfolio's strategic asset allocation. Can you explain why? We will then talk about your short-term and intermediary horizon views. Jim? Uh, yeah, sure, Henrik. So um, I'm not a bull, you know, gold bug, right? So I can be a bullish and a bearish on gold anytime. And by the way, I agree with all the points you, you mentioned. <laughs> I completely agree. I mean, I know there's a lot of explanations why gold has come become the choice of money for human beings. Um, but I can never understand in reality why so. And I agree with all the things that you have mentioned. But somehow, for some reasons, right, 
uh, for the thousands of years, human beings have come to use gold as their media of exchange and the store of value. And by the way, they did not communicate to each other, says, let's just use gold. I mean, it's different cultures from uh, Asian Egyptians, right, to Mesopotamian, you know, to the uh, to the Indian and, uh, and the Chinese cultures. And they all come to choose gold. So there's something, you know, mysterious about it. But I think for for us, we just have to accept as it is. And the central banks, by the way, you know, hold a lot of gold. And I, I'm sure they are not going to hold a barbarous relic. Now, the gold history essentially is the monetary history because people, you, you know, you, you know, after, like I said, a thousand of years, people has come to use gold as a media of exchange. And there is a problem with that because it's cumbersome to carry, right? And it's difficult to divide to the very small amount uh, for, you know, for the uh, small transactions, et cetera, right? So gradually, some credible institutions, you know, the banks or the government, they basically saying that, you know, have accumulated a lot of gold, right? And uh, then they will issue pieces of paper. And those pieces of paper are claim on that gold. So they will tell you that, look, well, I have a lot of gold. And, uh, you know, it's difficult for you to do the transaction. By the way, here's a piece of paper. You know, carry this piece of paper. And these pieces of paper are as good as gold. And uh, if, in case if you need it, come here, I give you gold. And, uh, you know, people come here, exchange paper for gold, and they got to go. So grads, people will believe in that. Uh, and, uh, you know, after a long time, people forget that a piece of paper is a claim on the gold. And that those credible institutions, government and the banks, etc., right, they realize that actually no one come here to claim for the gold. So therefore, they will issue a lot of papers. And once they issue a lot of papers, then what happened? One day, some people realize, hmm, you may not have enough gold. So let's try to get, you know, give your paper and give me gold. And if we all come here, right, the, you know, the government will go bankrupt and the bank will go bankrupt, right? So so I'm just describing this is actually how the banks works, right? And, you know, the, and how they, how the, uh, um, you know, the, the switch between these two is actually the switch between fiat money to gold standard, okay? So the world has basically rotating this between these two regime for a long period of time, okay? And you can think about the Roman Empire, right? There, I think the, you know, there's a lot of writings about the con content of silver in the Roman Empire and it just gradually diminish and, uh, and they get less and less. Uh, and I think in China is a similar thing, you know, in ancient time, you know, the money they use, the precious metal they use is silver. So they have, uh, they have a money note in exchange for silver, right? And uh, so you can see that is a pack to silver. Now, our current monetary regime, I think we mentioned this on the US dollar cycle last time, really started in 1971 when Nixon announced DPAC to the gold. So basically we were on gold standard right before 1971. And from 1971 until today, well, that's how many years? 50 years, right? In a half century. So in the human history, right, uh, certainly, you know, even in the monetary, you know, history, right, you know, 50 years is really, really short period of time, okay? And typically, when you got off the gold standard, right, you can, you feel free to issue a lot of paper, I mean, a lot of credit, right, and the government will, will do so, and uh, eventually, 
you issue too much papers and uh, there's not much goods and services. Uh, there's not much increase of goods and services, but there is a lot of um, a lot of money, right? Paper money, and uh, you all result in inflation and a rapid de devaluation. And a lot of time is uh, is also coincide with the um, with the change of paper reserve currency. So so the world actually has been, you know, um, swing between gold standard to the fiat currency back and forth. But ultimately, every time when you have a fiat currency, it ended up government spending a lot of money and devalue the currency. And, uh, and then uh, the world actually came back um, to, um, to the gold standard. Now, I'm not arguing we'll come back to the gold standard. Maybe, maybe, maybe in, the, in the future it can happen. Uh, and, uh, but I can see that in the, you know, there's a structure changes um, that will favor gold in the longer run. Now, like I said, I'm, we are not, you know, gold bucks. And uh, I think if we review the gold history in the, in the, in the past, and you will find out for some extended period of time, gold may not have performed very well. Um, so here I have, um, I have this chart here. This is a start from 1970s until today, right? Uh, and as you can see, you know, once the Nixon, um, after Nixon, uh, shock, right? Starting from 1971, gold price really took off, and that is the first big rally. Okay, and then especially, you know, it was doing fantastically well during the high inflationary environment, as everyone knows. And once Powell came coming, hiked the interest rate to 20 percent and killing killed inflation, uh, and gold has fall, you know, has come down. And really, from 1980 to year 2000, gold has you know, basically range bond for 20 years, all right? 20 years is a long period of time and gold was not really performing. Now from 2000 all the way to 2011, gold has significantly rallied, right? I think it's rallied from 300 or 280 um, all the way to, you know, 1,000 and uh, uh, 1,950 around that level, right? Uh, almost to 2000, I think, in 2011. So that was a that was a big move, right? Then after that, we have gone sideways market again. Now, from 2011 until today, right? That's about 12 years, right? We are around that 2000 level again. I think the question that you're going to ask is where the gold is going to go from here. Uh, and uh, I think you know that's the objective. That that's part of the objective we're going to we, we are going to discuss. Now that is the gold adjusted for that is a gold in the nominal term, right? And uh, you know, obviously, if you look at the paper currencies, paper, you know, paper money, right? The, your purchasing power, um, you really do not do not preserve any of the purchasing power um, uh, from from uh, from 1970s until today. Um, now, here is the price of gold adjusted for inflation. Now, the adjust for inflation, gold actually peaked. Uh, in 1981, and we have never broke out of this peak, okay, despite of the big rallies in the 2020s, right? Uh, you know, you know, from two, in the 2000 to 2011. And uh, so we have been in this range for quite a long period of time. Um, gold obviously compete with different other productive asset classes like equities and also compete with bonds. 
So let's look at them at the relative performance. So here I have a gold price over the total return of S&P 500. So here is not just a price, but also including the dividends and total return. As you can see, we have, you know, pretty big, you know, upwing, right? Like I said, in 1980s, right? And then it has relentlessly, you know, gold has relentlessly underperformed um, from 1980s all the way to 2000, right? And from 2000 is really the turning point where the gold has significantly outperformed um, stocks all the way to 2011, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, if one think about it from 2000 until today, that's more than 20 years, right? And uh, despite of the zero interest rate, confidence of stimulus, uh, the internet, the wonderful things of the internet to improve the productivities, right? Uh, and all the advanced technologies, think about how much technology advancement that we have made, and even AI and everything, right? From 2000 until today, ironically, S&P has underperformed um, gold, right? Obviously, I'm, you know, I, picked the, I picked the peak of a tech bubble, right? But if you can see this chart here, um, the, in terms of gold versus S&P total returns, we have not made lower lows of gold. Gold is making higher highs versus the S&P 500. If we turn over here, right? I'm just looking, looking at this chart. If you turn over here, that means that we could have another wave, okay? Similar to 1980s. And, uh, and uh, I want to have to ask ourselves, what kind of environment would result in that, right? Um, and uh, all the otherwise around. Right, and this you know, I'm not predicting that will become a reality. Um, another way, another chart that I'm looking at here is gold versus a long-term treasury bond. Again, it's a total returns, right? And uh, you can see there's a similar stories, right? 2000, the gold bottom out versus the total versus long-term bond, uh, and, uh, and now actually. Uh, versus the bond, gold is making higher high now. It's higher than 2011, okay? So what we ask ourselves, what you know, between all these asset classes and what's their roles, you know, why there's a change of fortunes between all the different asset classes. And uh, I think we discussed this uh, in, our, in our analytical framework where the long, Dated treasury bond typically perform very well in the low inflation and the low growth environment. So nominal bond will perform very well. And the, and the stocks will perform very well during the high growth, you know, high growth period, right? And especially when the inflation will behave. So high growth, low inflation, right? Uh, and uh, gold will perform particularly well uh, in the environment of high inflation and low growth, right? And that is in 1970s, right? In the, in, the, in, the 19, uh, in the 70s, right? So, so if I look at this, our, 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 our huge, our, our future, and uh, I can see there is a secular shift that is happening. So we are really talking about the long run, is that the environment that we are facing in the next 10, 20 years may be highly favorable for gold. And the reason for that is because the, the, the is, is because of the three factors. One is the de-dollarization trend, and the other one is the intensification of a geopolitical um, uh, conflict. And then the third one is I think the world, you know, the, the, not just the United States, 
uh, have a very high level of debt. And also I expect the inflation to be structurally higher in the long run. And because of these situations, and also because, and also I, I think the physical response will become predominant, will become a, you know, a predominant, predominant policy reaction. And because of a high level of debt, and this physical response has to be monetized by central bank. So because of a high inflation but low growth, I think the real interest rate have to be very low. And that is favorable for gold. If you think about the golden era of our financial asset, um, really started from 1980s until, uh, until today when Paul Volcker killed inflation and we have relentless fall of interest rate to zero. Uh, and uh, now this is changing. Um, I do think interest rate has bottomed out. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 I'm, I'm talking from a long, long run perspective. They have bottomed out in uh, 2000. And inflation is likely going to make higher, uh, is make a secular shift. Um, to the upside, and in that perspective, the financial the the, the tailwinds uh, for the financial asset because of a lower discount rate will become a headwinds for them as the interest rate start to rise in the long run, uh, and uh, and that is going to hurt, uh, but that is going to be favorable for the real asset, uh, which is commodities, uh, and the gold, and the real estate. Uh, by the way, real estate is highly financialized, so it has uh, a lot of uh, properties, uh, a lot of characteristics as a, as a financial asset. And the commodities is going to be really driven during the inflation environment where the growth is robust on that. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the gold is going to be driven by whether the growth is going to be robust enough during the inflation time period. So we are really talking about this long run, but you know that our short-term views here is, in this secular, this is not a, a straight line. And back in 2000, back in 2020, um, we basically, we argue for the, we argue that the rates have bottomed out and inflation is, is set to, to increase. Uh, at time we're thinking about 6%, 5%, and uh, here we go, we got, uh, you know, <laughs> it's even exceeded our expectations, you know? Um, but now we are, you know, from cyclical perspective, now we actually think interest rate is close to the peak uh, and uh, inflation is close to the peak and, uh, and it probably will drop significantly during the recession. Uh, and then the, um, we will see uh, policy reaction again. And then we will have a higher high of inflation and we'll have a higher high of interest rate uh, in, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in the long run. So that's kind of a that's kind of the uh, the uh, long term outlook. But uh, we can you know talk each one of them. Obviously, navigating this through this is is a difficult, and we'll talk about our short term views. Uh, and um, so perhaps maybe we can talk about each of these structure changes. Sure. Um, so you mentioned de-dollarization right now, and you also touched upon it in our previous episode. Now. You still believe that the dollar will continue to be the major reserve currency I mean, for, for the foreseeable future. Now, would you elaborate on how gold might benefit from this de-dollarization trend, even if the dollar continues to be the dominant reserve currency? Um, yes. So that's um, OK. I think, you know, to take us to this, maybe uh, we can start from the Asian financial crisis. OK, as you know, 
the takeaway from the Asian financial crisis is that, you know, emerging market need to have a lot of FX reserve to weather the downturn, right? Uh, because typically during the booming time, they issue a lot of, um, you know, a lot of U.S. dollar denominated bond. Uh, when the U.S. dollar uh, rise, you know, basically they were shorting U.S. dollars and uh, they have to cover <laughs> and uh, and they all resulted in the crisis. So the the uh, the solution for that is uh, is you hold a lot of FX reserve. And that's the lessons learned for a lot of emerging market countries. And after that, you can see China was starting to accumulate a lot of reserve. I mean, Saudis has always always accumulated reserve, you know, U.S. dollars because it's, it's, it's denominated in U.S. dollars, right? Uh, the, the oil selling and the, and the U.S. was their first, you know, the biggest customer. Uh, and but but predominantly is uh, is it was China, right? So they accumulated a lot of um, a lot of reserves and uh, and uh, mostly in U.S. dollars. Um, I think the first wake up call is really after financial crisis. And uh, so they realized that the uh, Fed just printed a lot of money um, in a print a trillion dollars within uh, within less than a year. Uh, and by the way, it will take them, you know, <laughs> a decade to export their goods, right? In exchange for that trillion of reserve. Uh, and, uh, and then not only you, you, you did that and you did a QE2, you did a QE3, right? I think that's the time to think about maybe we need to diversify our reserve, right? So they start buying the, you know, kind of a U.S. asset and the international asset. And uh, then, you know, and then I think uh, it also caused a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I would say, um, a bad press in the, in, the, in, the, in the developed countries because they think, oh, China is buying all over the world. And I, I think they also had some setback uh, buying those assets. And then they say, okay, maybe we just do, you know, our, you know, we spend the money on the infrastructures, right? Spend money build the road, build all this, and uh, and unless, and uh, and I think fast forward, right, in the COVID time, before you realize, right, we think within a few months, the U.S. print the entire FX reserve for the China, right? <laughs> so, so that that is mind-boggling, right? And in the, you know, if that's not enough, I think you know you care about first you care about value of your FX reserve, and then secondly you even care about the security of your FX reserve, right? Because then after you know, the U.S. is using was using the sanctions, right? Uh, as long as you know, for for political and the geopolitical uh, purpose. I'm not arguing that is right or wrong. I mean it is just being done. That uh, you know, Russia. And suddenly, you find out that your FX reserve is basically is not your reserve, is not your FX reserve anymore. Uh, so it's not safe. Not only the value has di di diminished, and it's not even safe. Uh, and we go to zero, right? So I, you know, that's actually the key one of the key reasons for the one belt one road. They say, you know, we have built enough infrastructure domestically. Let's just build all over the world. It's much better build a road and everything rather than you just pre trillion dollars and and all just confiscated if uh, if we all did something that you don't like. So so I think and then if you think about how do you diversify you know so so I think that's kind of the trend right that's what we're doing um, that's the world that it has been evolving uh, into and uh, so if you want to diversify away from the um, from the dollar where can you go? <laughs> there's really no choice and uh, and because of that gold is the only choice right 
So that's why the Russian and all the others, uh, they have been diversifying, you know, they have been buying gold and China has been buying gold. So, so I know in this de-dollarization process, gold is really um, become a kind of alternative reserve asset. And because the gold stock is very small, right, relative to the bond. So even increase a little bit of the buying is, is going to increase the value uh, significantly. But I think the second, um, the second, so, so, so that's the first implication, right? The second implication is that I do not know what's the gold role in a new monetary system that are trying to establish. Because as far as I can see here, you know, they are trying to come up with a payment system that is out of SWIFT system. And this is a payment system, whatever they discuss using the local currency, whatever, whatever uh, things they're gonna use, I think may ultimately require some credible backing, backing, right? Um, so is I do not know exact form and uh, not why I think everyone have uh, visibilities of this, but it's possible there that gold and all the other commodities have some component in terms of backing of the currency, especially from the from the level from from the from the background that they do not have any credit bit you know from 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 the um, you know the the, the, the e economic and uh, and the history of a uh, credible history to do that. So I mean, I do not know what what's the role that gold is going to play, but I certainly uh, think that if the reserve currency, uh, if the gold is the gold priced in the reserve currency, if the reserve currency, um, you know, if if the reserve diversification is away from the current reserve currency, then the gold is going to benefit from that. Right. Now, and then we have geopolitics, which is a tough and a tough topic fraught with problems. But suffice it to say that, that the world seems to be heading in the direction of rising conflicts and wars, whether hot or cold wars, and that um, this is probably a development here to stay. So relate that to, to, to the fortunes of gold. Jim? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I have, I, I'm optimistic, right? But uh, I did not expect the world to evolve in this way. Um, and I saw the risk, but uh, but it seems that uh, that the world is heading uh, into more conflict, more confrontation, and the less globalization. Uh, and um, I think the you know Ray Dalio have um, have a book uh, talk about the changing of the world order, and I recommend everyone to read that. And uh, that is that is a very good and a very well written. And also, it is uh, shockingly. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking in the sense that uh, that uh, it's very bleak, um, you know, if that happens. And I think he assigned about 50 percent of probability of the of the of the uh, World War Three. So we, 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 really, we have a hot wars in Ukraine and uh, now we have uh, hot wars in uh, uh, in, uh, in Middle East and uh, we have a cold war with with China. And that potentially can get into the hot wars, and uh, hopefully not. But um, but then they, um, in, you know, if you look at the history, gold has always you know have this geopolitical premiums, and when there is an increasing conflict and a military military conflict, and the people will ask why, and uh, this is the property of gold, one of the property of gold that we described, that if it is paper currency, it's always a claim of credit on somebody. Okay, so it's a form of credit. You do not own that pieces of U.S. dollars. Okay, is with the good face of the United States. You hold the reserve. Is you hold the reserve, 
and uh, and uh, and it can be gone. You hold, and uh, so the sanctions and all this, right? Make 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 gold. You know, I we talk about cryptocurrency. We make them uh, attractive and similarly for gold. So gold is not a credit. It's uh, nobody else liability. You can hold it. You can change it for goods and services, uh, and uh, and it will be recognized worldwide. And that's part of the reason during the geopolitics, you know, geopolitical intensifications and uh, gold price typically start to rise and there is a, a premium uh, for that. And then given the, the world that we are heading into, and uh, one can argue this geopolitical premium can only increase, not, de not decrease. What do you think, Henrik? Well, yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid so, I, I agree with you. Um, so looking back in our previous installment, you mentioned that your long-term structural view is that we're in for, we're likely in for a long period of higher inflation combined with lower growth, that kind of an environment. And the likely outcome of this type of environment is, is lower nominal interest rates and, and, and even negative real interest rates. And this presumably then should be a great environment for gold, right, Jim? Um, yeah, that's that's right. So we talk about first of all, we um, you know on inflations, um, and uh, our inflation outlook in the in the next one to two years uh, is basically contrary to the uh, to the longer term views that we have. We actually think from cyclic perspective, in the next one to two years, the inflation is going to fall. Uh, and uh, maybe even back, maybe we'll even have a temporary deflation. Um, but we lay out our structure views on inflation um, back in 2020 when the, when very few people were talking about it, right? Today, everyone was on this on these things and uh, which we took completely agree, which are the three major drivers. One is really the supply chain and the delinkage uh, from the Chinese Chinese supply chain. And, uh, you know, you can call it, you know, reshoring, friendshoring, uh, and, uh, um, and uh, you know, it will make world more fractured and uh, it will increase the cost of production. It will, you know, by increase the redundancy of the, of the supply chain. Uh, and even you argue that you can come up with equally sufficient supply chain with even cheaper, um, you know, kind of a productions, which I doubt, like, like, you know, in other countries, which I doubt, even you, you think so, um, that then I still think it will take a long time. And the second way is that uh, we have a lack of investment in the, uh, in the, in the energy uh, space for a long period of time. And now we have a push into the green energy that requires significant uh, you know, investment and this transition time period, um, you know, the energy cost and the commodity price is likely going to go higher in, in the long run. And thirdly, I think that the MMT is going to become a permanent feature that, uh, that we're going to have. And I think you will probably say how so, because during the financial, during the, you know, in, two, in 2020, um, so when we talk about the, you know, you know, fiscal response, monetized by the central bank, that will be the things with, that will, will be the, you know, um, authorities response to the crisis, um, you know, in the future. And it will repeat. 
But uh, but the people may may say, okay, then look at it right now, and uh, you know, looks like uh, you know people realize that this will cause a lot of inflation, and probably not a good thing to do. Central bank is not doing QE, uh, and, and instead is doing QT, um, and uh, and uh, and that is true. So that's why we think follow the sequence is more important than following the destination. Because now you have the consequence of inflation, so you want to tighten, okay? Once you tighten, then you will have a problem. Uh, once you have a problem, then you will have to ease again, okay? And so I think that it will it will return, you know, it, it, you know, it, it will return, the environment we're gonna have, it will return. So just visualize this. Um, I think there's one argument from a lot of people, basically saying the Fed have already realized the zero interest rate is very bad. So they do not want to go back there. They also realize the QE is really bad. Say so they do not want to do the QE. And they also say some uh, far right, uh, you know, uh, congressmen realize the spending is not good and uh, uh, it's not good, right? And so they will not do that. Uh, and uh, I agree a lot of intentions, right? But our human's reaction function will determine that they will do it. And ironically, because you do not want to do that, so market price that in, that will create very tightened, tightened, you know, monetary conditions, and it will actually increase the probability you're going to do that in the future. So I know this is a convoluted, but let me explain. Let's say the market is back fast, not going to, the Fed is a very clever reaction function. They will tighten until they, they will tighten until inflation fall. And uh, so inflation will fall, right? And uh, and uh, and uh, then it will result in the recession. And uh, once the recession come, you know, the Fed say, uh, we, we are not going to be like, we are not going to do the repeat the same thing. We are, we are not going to cut. Oh, we cut very slowly. And because of that, things are going to get worse. Uh, and uh, then they will they will do the cut. And finally say, okay, let, let's just cut. They cut to two percent, not enough. Things still continue to fall. They cut to one percent, right? Okay, let's say they do not want to go to zero bond. Okay, fine. You cut to one percent, and uh, you know, um, and what if the things are still falling and fall? You know, still, still, you know, the asset prices continue to fall. The economy is still not doing well. Uh, and uh, by the way, at the time, the, the central gov the government is going to spend because that's the time they are going to spend money, right? And think about it, even today they want to spend money, right? Which is the record high, a record low unemployment rate. So once they spend a lot of money and uh, then you will push up the interest rate on the longer run because we're talking about there's not much buyers, natural demand for, 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 for that as we, as we talked before. And uh, now central bank want to ease because you don't want to go to zero bound, right? And uh, you know, there is so much debt, they will push up the price, right? So what do you do? You will do the QE eventually because there's no choice. And uh, and by the way, at the time, at that time, you know, equity go down 50, 60, 50, 50%. Uh, unemployment go to, uh, you know, six, seven, eight percent, right? And uh, and all the action will be justified, right? So you can think about the interest will go down to two percent, you know, Fed fund rate go down to one percent or two percent, right? And the 10 year go down two and a half and and uh, and the 30 year go to three percent, right? And then they started the QE and then. You know, when the interest rate go higher, uh, go to higher, like seven, seven, eight percent, and the uh, and the inflation go to um, you know for the next high bottom. And by the way, the inflation, everyone think about two percent is a magical number. So, but if we really have a shock, 
Inflation will come down from uh, you know you know four percent, three percent, two percent, and it probably will not stop there, and it will go to one percent, zero percent as possible, and have a temporary deflation shock. And before you realize, after they have all the fiscal response and uh, and monetized by the central bank, and the inflation will come back to seven percent, eight percent, ten percent again, right? So I think that's kind of the that's kind of the potential scenario that we can have, and in another environment, right? Um, basically. We, 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 we think about the gold is going to perform very well in the environment that, that the central bank is unwilling or not able to deal with inflation. So I think the one misconcept a lot of people talk about is like, okay, we have high inflation, look, you know, in the past. I mean, why the gold is not performing? And, uh, and I would say gold actually performed extraordinarily well. And I also want to say gold is actually overvalued versus the, versus the real yield. And we will talk about it when we discuss our short-term views. Because the gold is not hedged for the inflation, but gold rather is a hedge for inflation when Fed is unwilling to deal with it or unable to deal with it. When you have emerging market, when you have inflation, um, and the central banks basically are not willing to deal with it. Right, so that's why you have a very high, you know, uh, the, the the currency value and the gold price go higher. And fortunately, in uh, in the United States and uh, in the West countries, and the Fed typically have very credible reaction function, so they are willing to deal with inflation. And the problem is, at a certain point, they will not be able to. Is that because one once the um, once the the tighten monetary policy, you know, uh, result in uh, in the, in the recession. And then the uh, and the high unemployment rate and the collapse of asset prices, then the priority changes. Um, and uh, so it was. So the only thing. So so that's why um, gold will typically perform well in the in a structurally higher inflation but a lower growth environment. And as you can also see, you know how Jim, how do you think the growth will be lower than than in the past? And I would say, you know, if if we think about the the the, the growth is typically driven by you know the, the labor force growth and the productivity, right? And uh, we all know the labor force growth is uh, in uh, in the whole world is uh, is not as robust as before in the DM world, and um, the productivity is relatively stable. And uh, uh, and uh, and then what is driving this is a lot of time is this debt cycle, the credit cycle, right? And uh, Carmen Reinhardt, and uh, you know they they did analysis of the financial crisis. Basically, when the debt to the GDP above one hundred percent, and uh, you know you typically the economic growth materially, and uh, the incremental usage of debt will not be uh, will not result in higher growth anymore. Um, and I think Lacey Hunt also have extensive writing on this, and uh, you know basically the the increase of government. You know, spending um, can cause you know temporary economic economic bump of economic growth, um, but a lot of the a lot of spending are waste waste spending, and they crowded out the private uh, you know uh, econo e economies, and they are not productive, right? So so I do not believe that fiscal spending can result in the long term sustainable growth, but rather they are damaging for the long term growth. So if you put these things, two things together, and that is the uh, that is a cocktail uh, for the performance of gold. And uh, by the way, real interest rate. So the tips, inflation-linked bond, right? The tips also perform very well. So you can also, and I I, I also think they are attractive uh, asset for the inflation-linked bond. I mean, the only problem with that is again, inflation-linked bond 
is a form of if it is a form of claim on the U.S. government. It has the full face of U.S. government. You know the um the 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 inflation rate that you're going to get is published calculated by the U.S. government, right? It can be. I'm not saying they are manipulating, but it can sub be subject to manipulation, right? So um so I I, I would say I would say the uh, high inflation and the lower growth environment. And it's typically very favorable for gold. And uh, I think in the long run, in the future, that's likely going to be the environment that we, um, I would say, have high probability um, that, that, that scenario uh, may stay with us for a long period of time. Right. Well, Jim, I think you have laid out fairly uh, convincingly uh, the case for why gold should be a strategic allocation in an investor's portfolio and why you think that in the coming decades, uh, because of the structural shifts that we just discussed, gold may perform an even more important role in an investor's portfolio than it has so far. So just to summarize so far, the drivers for gold going forward in the longer term are de-dollarization, geopolitics, and the high level of debt and, structural, and structurally higher inflation combined with relatively lower growth. Okay, we get that. But Jim, what's an investor going to do with these insights now? Um, yeah, sure. So I think the um, it's really depending on the what type of investors you are, what type of horizons, right? And uh, I think it from if you think about from a long term portfolio construction purpose, right? And uh, I think the um, the sixty forty portfolio have benefited from the correlation between bond. And the stocks, uh, and uh, and both of them have gone higher because of falling interest rate, like I have described before. So that you know that is basically the increase of financial asset. And I would say diversification for them probably is going to be the real asset, which is gold and the commodities. Um, and uh, and the gold will particularly perform well during the high inflation and uh, uh, and the low growth environment. So I would think that investors should have. You know, strategic long-term, you know, investors should have be part of the strategic asset allocation. How big that would it be, and etc. Obviously, is is the specific situation of different people, right? Um, and uh, and uh, and for the short-term, you know, intermediary-term investors, or if you want to do more tacticals, um, I think you know there there are some drivers for the gold from from short-term perspective. Um, and we can discuss on that. And, uh, you know, obviously you can do a concentrated ballot, et cetera. And sometimes you can, um, you know, have a less exposure or even shorter some, you know, some, for some period of time. But uh, I'm just pointing it out that, uh, that uh, it makes sense uh, to be part of the, of the long-term portfolio. Okay. So um, what instruments should investors use? So what we have is physical gold, as in, bullion and gold bars. We have paper gold, as in futures and ETFs, and options on these. And then there are mining companies that extract gold. And then, of course, there's always fool's gold, like in NFTs, but let's not waste time on that. So how do you think about these conduits, physical gold, paper gold, and gold miners? Jim? Uh, yeah, so, so I, you know, we are not here to you know, we're discussing, you know, kind of, uh, you know, our general views on the investment. We're not, you know, recommending the sponsor, whatever, uh, of, of of any any product and uh, and things like that. 
So, so I, I would think that uh, you know if uh, if you have a significant portfolio, if it is an institutions, and uh, and if you have a very significant size of your portfolio, I do think a physical gold uh, can play a role. Uh, and otherwise, I also think that uh, ETF, you know, with the with the physical backings and uh, um, can get, you know can be a choice. I do not. I'm not a you know kind of doom and gloom guy, and I think that the financial you know market is going to collapse, and you cannot even come. You cannot get you know convert uh, you know this and get a gold. Uh, and uh, I you know for the uh, for the leverage and uh, and the short term already the investors, I think you can also play futures and options, right? Uh, and uh, so you can make a lot of money and uh, and. The, and buy physical gold and put them back to the ground. Uh, anyway, I'm joking here. And uh, and the, yeah, there is a miners, and uh, obviously you have to know the company you buy because you're buying a company who produces the gold. So it's a stocks, it's not gold. Uh, and so you know, like any companies, the the revenue is coming from gold, a price, and how much they can sell, right? And uh, the cost is you know, it's explorations and uh, and the labor cost and the electricity. I don't know all all these all these costs. So um, it can be lever play uh, at a certain point, you know, at a certain period of time. And, uh, you know, we are not, um, we are, you know, for, for us, you know, we choose what is what is good at a particular point of time. But I think, uh, you know, investors should be open to all these options. Eric? Yes, right. I got that. Now, okay, so you made the point that gold should be part of the strategic asset allocation of any investor's portfolio. But what if I wanted to be more tactical in the in the short term? If I, like you, may want to make some larger bets on gold from time to time. Can you share your short-term views? Now, I know that your short-term view on gold has shifted quite a lot this year. Uh, you were bullish at the beginning of the year and then even bearish for a while. And now you're back to neutral and actually tilting more towards the bullish side of gold. Now, I'm not asking you to predict the path of the price of gold, but rather, how do you value gold? And what is your framework for analyzing the price of gold? Which, quite frankly, seems to be all over the place with a lot of randomness. Jim? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. A lot of random randomness in the in the asset price for all the financial asset, but the behind that, the actually there are some drivers, you know, for that. And yes, we are we are turning bullish on gold, uh, and uh, so we will explain our short term outlook, why we come up with that outlook, and uh, and what's the um, what's the uncertainties that we have to deal with, uh, and uh, so so we can uh, dive that in. Uh, before I do that, I forgot to show the chart, you know, because we're showing the gold in the uh, in the U.S. dollars for for the dollar denominated investors, um, and uh, I'm showing a chart in Japanese yen because I think the worst offender uh, for the uh, for the debt monetization of the QE is Japanese, right? Is the um, so if you look at it, um, you know, the gold really took off in Japanese yen term in 2000. And uh, you know, and uh, it never looked back. And you may wonder why is that? In two thousand, you know, Japan was cut interest rate to zero, and uh, and the, the you know, and then it really took off. And uh, after consolidated for a period of time, and uh, now you can see, you know, it's um, uh, I do not, 
I cannot see where is the uh, where this is going to end. Um, but uh, coming back to talk about, you know, the what is the what you know how we come up with the uh, kind of an ultimate goal. goal. I think it's really we want to see some of the drivers, right? So I think we, there's the three drivers, right? The first driver, um, you know, we we just get out of the way is the geopolitical premium, right? And uh, uh, and that is uh, it's difficult to assess. It's very objective, right? So if you think things is going to intensi intensify, get worse, that a geopolitical premium will increase. If you think things is going to get better, that a geopolitical premium will compress. Um, and other than that, um, and uh, because gold is priced in U.S. dollars, right, uh, and uh, you can also think about the gold in the, um, you know, you know, one of the drivers is U.S. dollars. So we discussed the U.S. dollar, um, you know, in, in, in our past, uh, in our last episode. And uh, as you can see here, so I have a chart here. So the, the orange line is the DXY, is the gold, is the dollar index. And uh, so it's the inverse, okay? Um, when it's go when this orange line go lower, dollar strengthen. When the orange line go higher, uh, you know the gold, uh, you know the dollar uh, weaken, and the white line is a gold price. So you can you can see here in two thousand, right, and uh, the next ten next one decade, gold have a significant rise, right, and that's during the time dollar was depreciating, and from two eleven until today. You know, gold has been strengthening, right? And uh, you can see there is a divergence, right? Starting in the in the two thousand nineteen until today, where the dollar has been strengthening, but the gold has continued to rally. And uh, you may you may ask why is that? And uh, and uh, the other, you know, I think the explanation is really like gold has been rallying not only versus the U.S. dollar, but versus all the fiat currencies. And the U.S. dollar was just strengthening versus the other fiat currencies. Okay, so that's the that's the one key um, kind of explanation for that. So, so the U.S. dollar can explain portion of that, but not a, a lot of that. The real driver, I think, is the um, real interest rate. Okay, and uh, and obviously the real interest rate is associated with dollar strength as well. So typically, with the real interest rate rise in the U.S. U.S. dollar strengthen, right? And uh, and uh, depending on the rest of the world, so if the U.S. you know real interest rise faster than the rest of the world, U.S. dollar will strengthen. And uh, well, you know, conversely, if the U.S. dollar, um, you know, if the real interest rate in the U.S. fall, and then the U.S. dollar will uh, will we will weaken, and as a favorable environment for gold. So if you look at the real, if you look at this uh, this chart, so. As, I, as, as we discussed, there's two, two kind of a spike, you know, period for the gold to really increase the value, right? The first is in 1970s, right? And um, so I have three panels here. Uh, the top panel on the top is the gold price. In the middle panel is the uh, real interest rate uh, on forward-looking inflation, you know, in real interest rate. So basically it's the, it's the yield for the tips, right? It's nominal, minus, the inflation expectation of the future. So this is a forward-looking, uh, you know, real real yield. And uh, I have an orange line here because before you know before 1990s, um, there is no you know tips. There there is no data here, uh, and uh, so I basically using the nominal uh, 
you know, treasury yield minus inflation. So you can see here in the 1970s, real interest rate really dropped from, you know, 4% all the way down to negative 4%, okay? Um, so in other words, you know, the inflation is so high, whatever rise of the nominal interest rate is still not enough to compensate for the in, 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 you know, inflation. Um, I, I think this uh, the, the reason for this is straightforward, is that if you hold gold, there's no yield. And actually there's a carry cost. If you hold a paper currency, paper money, there is a yield. I mean, the problem is the yield may be less than the inflation. So you're worse off. You know, so when the interest rate become negative, you know, uh, holding gold is actually a positive carry. Now, if you think about the the the, the decline of the, the of of the gold really started in uh, 1981 when you know 1981 when the when the when the real interest rate significantly increased as the Paul Volcker, you know, killed inflation, and this in, in real inflation continued to rise uh, because the inflation fall faster. Than the nominal, uh, nominal, in, nominal interest rate, uh, and so that's the first spike. Now the second one here, as you can see, this trend, you know, of the acceleration of the interest rate uh, of of the gold, it really starts from two thousand. And if you look at, at this chart, the real interest rate started to relentless fall. This have start falling starting from two thousand. Okay, both on the uh, both on the uh, you know. Uh, um, forward-looking, like implied by the tips, or just using nominal minus whatever CPI reading, and uh, and I think this have a lot to do with as I as we talk about, you know, the 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 whole world was was buying the U.S. Uh, reserve asset, right, and the and the Fed was you know was cutting interest, was able to keep the interest rate very low because inflation was really fall, you know, was 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 falling. Uh, and uh, and that result in the relentless rise of gold. Now, this if you look at this chart here, right? Uh, the most recent lag really start from 2019, uh, right? Uh, and actually before the COVID nineteen, uh, once the Trump got elected, uh, and uh, um, you know before that, maybe I can talk about from 2011 until um, 2018, you know, 2016. And one, 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 maybe one we want to say here is that, you know, why we're doing all of this QE and the gold was not rising, and why? I would say that have a lot to do with the uh, first of all, I think in 2011, gold probably was in the bubble. Okay, so it was the correcting of the excess, and the secondly, you know, as we all know, the money can only be created by two things. One is the government spending, and the other is the credit creation. Uh, the QE itself only increases the reserve and does not increase the money for good, the money for the goods and the services, right? And what really changes, if you think about it, 2.0, you know, is basically after Trump came to power uh, and they started the physical stimulus, even the economy was doing well, okay? And uh, and obviously that was off, first offset by the monetary policy. But uh, but then, uh, as we all know, in December 2018, uh, the stock dropped like stone and the power pivot. And after that, gold really took off, okay? Now, it have a dip during the pandemic time period. And then the rest of the history, the big, the big you know, rally came really after the physical and the monetary response from the central bank. Right, so that will bring us the gold um, to the current price today. Now, I can I, I zoom in here for today's price. So 
let's just look at this chart here. The white line is the gold price, okay? And the, the orange line is the real interest rate, 10 year real interest rate, okay? So I use the tips. Um, in other words, is the uh, nominal minus the, uh, the break even, okay? And uh, again, it's inverse scale. So it's on the right side, inverse scale, when this is go, when the, you know, when this is go higher, it's basically a real interest rate diminish. When this go lower, the real interest rate increase. Okay, so, so it's inverse scale. Um, and if you look at that, basically gold and the real yield, they went in tandem, okay? Uh, and uh, last period of time, I think, you know, um, if you have a following us for quite some time and uh, during the Russian war, um, when the gold break out, we were not quite sure how sustainable it is because the Fed was really on the on the hiking cycle. And before you realize that, and the gold has significantly fell. And uh, you can see here the real divergence really happens in um, in uh, in the past one year. Uh, the real yield have went all the way from negative one percent to two and a half percent. And uh, and the look at the goal it is still close to the all-time high. Um, and uh, and I would say if gold have fallen this the steps of real interest rate, and I would say the gold could have come back down to you know one thousand, right? And uh, so that's almost kind of 40, 50 percent of drop, right, of gold, right? And um, you can say that part of that is geopolitical premium, right? But uh, it's very hard for me to justify that big amount of geopolitical premium. Uh, it could be, but uh, I'm not quite sure, right? So, so that's why I actually think that gold is really uh, overpriced. Taking away the geopolitical premium is very overpriced relative to real interest rate. So in terms of our valuations, right, we like real interest rate better than gold. Now we actually like nominal interest rate as well because we think that inflation is going to fall. But anyway, that's a side topic here. And then one have to ask our questions, why the gold is priced significantly higher? There's only two things. One is that, you know, this, the, the real interest rate will, to close this gap, there's two things can happen, right? Uh, one is the real interest rate will start to de decrease uh, and uh, to catch up with gold price. So in that case, you know, gold was leading. Uh, or the gold price have to drop to catch up with the, the real interest rate. Or maybe it's a combination of both, right? Um, so from that perspective, um, I, I think from valuation perspective, gold is not as attractive as the real yields and have a downside risk. From geopolitical premium perspective, and I think the things can get worse, and this geopolitical premium can expand. Now, if if we look at the if we look at the past the hiking you know cycle, if we look at the history, um, and uh, it will probably be um, you know be uh, be a good idea to just review gold performance during the transition period from the. Um, from the hiking cycle to the cutting cycle. Um, because I we do think that uh, we probably, we probably are towards the end of a hiking cycle. Maybe we are already at the end of a hiking cycle. Uh, and uh, and typically after the period of pause, the Fed will come back to cut. Now there's exceptions. 
Um, and uh, in the uh, nine, you know, in the, in the 1998, 99, after the pause and the, and the, and the, and the you know, Fed hiked the interest rate, I know I think our environment is drastically different than that time period. Um, and we can discuss that in the future. But let's just say during this transition period, um, you know, let's look at the history. So this is uh, basically in 2018, um, um, the gold and the Fed fund rates in 2018 and 2020, right? Um, so when the uh, the gold already started to rise, uh, when the Fed was about, you know, Fed have another hike basically. So, so when the gold already started to to rise uh, before Fed ended the hiking, right? You know, one one hike one one hike earlier, right? And then during the time when the head Fed was pausing, uh, gold went sideways and sideways higher, right? And when the Fed started to cut, the gold took off. And then during the pandemic time period, gold dropped when Fed cut interest rates significantly. And that is the liquidity shock. Okay, during the liquidity shock, gold will drop. Uh, you know, gold, gold will drop significantly. And if we look at the history uh, in the 2005 to 2010, during the, uh, the peak of a subprime crisis, um, you can see similar things as well. So gold actually was rising, starting to rise already. Uh, when the Fed was hiking interest rate, um, towards the end of hiking interest rate, right? And that was in well in advance. And because of that move, I would say, you know, when the Fed paused, the gold was sideways for a long period, for, for quite a period of time. And the gold took off once the Fed started cutting interest rate. And during the, uh, during the uh, once the Lehman defaulted, right, we have a big drop. Fed basically cut interest rate to zero very quickly. But the gold actually have a big drop, and that is another liquidity crisis where gold got liquidated. Another way of thinking about this is also the real interest rate actually at that time was tightened because inflation expectation have dropped so fast, and the Fed has not reacted yet for that window of time. You know the real interest rate have actually increased, and. Uh, um, and if you look at a 19, you know, 1999 to 2000 hiking cycle, I mean, that is a slightly different. So when the Fed was hiking interest rate, uh, gold have started to fall. Well, gold was falling, right? And, uh, you know, gold only started to perform when the Fed started cutting interest rate. I would see our, our um, I think the, you know, the, the, the last two period of time probably is more comparable for us. And that is because, the monetary policy, the Fed has made the monetary policy very transparent to the investors. So all the asset price, all the investors start to anticipate Fed reaction function well in advance of a Fed actual, you know, kind of a move, right? And uh, during that time, you know, basically everyone have to guess what the Fed was going to do. So if you use that analog as, a, uh, as an example here, and uh, I would say, um, because the, uh, you know, we are towards the end of the hiking cycle and the uh, gold probably will go, you know, you know, go higher or sideways higher. Um, and uh, because once the Fed really start cutting interest rate, in the absence of liquidity crisis, gold will accelerate. Uh, and if there is a liquidity crisis, gold probably will drop. And that is probably the final end of the, that's probably is the, um, um, 
the 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 bottom where you can buy for the longer run, and uh, because you know the physical response and the monetary response will come after that. So a decisive turn of physical response and the monetary response will be the decisive bottom of gold for the long run. And how to navigate from this time period until that time period is a question mark. And uh, and uh, and obviously history is different, you know, every time. Like we said, there is a geopolitical premium, um, you know, that uh, that here is very subjective to everyone's, um, you know, everyone's the um, um, everyone's estimate and uh, and deliberation, right? Um, I can actually show a. Uh, let me just pull up a Bloomberg chart here, and we can actually sh show um, the gold chart in the in the in the shorter term. And uh, so, if you look at this gold price here, right, and uh, we're really getting stuck in this range from sixteen hundred to two thousand, right, with the pivot moment with the pivot price at eighteen hundred, right. So I would say if we break above. 2000 and the sustain above this level, and this can really accelerate to the upside. Uh, and uh, obviously, we one cannot rule out you know longer consolidation within this area or even even fall because gold was gold is overvalued uh, versus the real interest rate uh, in our in the by our work. Um, but gold typically will rally when we are towards the end of the market cycle. Uh, and gold will really accelerate to the upside when Fed stock cut interest rate, with the risk of liquidation risk, if there is a liquidation of the broad deleverage of financial financial asset across uh, all the asset classes. So I think that will summarize my short views. Uh, and uh, Eric, do you have any other questions? Is there anything else we should uh, we should discuss? No, I think this was very comprehensive. And um, actually, I think we're coming to the end of this episode now. So let me try and summarize your summarization, just so that we have it on record, right? So we agree that gold has limited intrinsic value in terms of generating cash flow. But gold is also firmly planted in the human psyche as a representation of value. And as such, one can argue, gold should be part of an investor's strategic allocation. Now, the current drivers underpinning this argument for a strategic gold allocation are the long-term outlook for higher inflation and a lower growth environment, the likely intensification of global strife, that is, geopolitical risks, a trend which may be with us for the long haul, and the initiatives by various countries to push de-dollarization, an effort that is linked to the geopolitical situation, and also this driver is likely to be here, to be with us for the, for the long term. Now, Jim, in the short term, your views on gold have been adjusting, and currently, you're kind of bullish. You believe that gold will start to rally once it is evident that we have reached the end of the hiking cycle, and that gold has the potential to rocket when central banks actually start to ease. However, gold could also be vulnerable in case of a broad-based asset liquidation, right? Now, as far as geopolitical premium goes, just note that this month, October to date, gold is up about 10%. And this 
geopolitical premium will probably remain both elevated and volatile in the longer run, depending on how global politics play out. So I think that's what you said. I hope. Uh, yeah. So um, that is a very good summary. Uh, I would just I would just want to come back to correct a little bit here. Is that uh, I think the gold will start to rally. One is evident that we have reached the end of a hiking cycle. In 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 in, in that sentence. I do think we probably have reached the end of a hiking cycle. And I do think gold will probably start to rally because of this, okay? Um, so that's part of the, that's the main reason why I'm totally more bullish on gold. Now, my hesitation here is because the gold has priced, gold has, uh, you know, significantly overpriced relative to the real yield. So I do not know how much gold, how much is geopolitical premium, and how much is the gold anticipation of the Fed, you know, pausing and easing? So I think that's something that we need the market to tell us, rather than that we will enforce my own views on the on the market. But uh, in general, that's a good summary. And uh, so, Herrick, um, tell us where listeners can follow us. Herrick. Yes, sorry, I was on mute there. So, yes, you can follow us by searching for Total Convexity in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. Please don't forget to click on the subscription button so that you will be automatically notified when a new episode is available. You can also follow us on X, which used to be Twitter, where we have the handle at Total Convexity. And you can email us at totalconvexity at gmail.com. And you can follow our insights on Substack at totalconvexity.substack.com. We promise never to spam you, never to try and sell you anything, and not to expose you to advertising and marketing. All you will get is our honest take on the markets, right or wrong, and we'll try and make it short and sweet. Anything else, Jim? No, that's it. So thank you, everyone. Uh, if you like this podcast, uh, we would appreciate if you can pass along to anyone who may be interested. And this concludes the first, you know, uh, this episode of our podcast, Total Convexity. We will see you next time. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial professional before making any financial decisions. All investments involve risks. There are no guarantees of profits and investments may incur losses. The contents discussed in this podcast is not a recommendation for any specific investment. Past performance does not predict future results. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts or affiliated parties. The podcast host and guests may have financial interests in companies or products discussed, and listeners should be aware that the opinions expressed by guests and their hosts may reflect biases. We strive for accuracy, but financial information can change rapidly. The content may not always be up to date or complete, so verify information independently. This podcast does not offer legal or regulatory advice, and listeners are responsible for ensuring that their financial decisions comply with applicable laws and regulations. 
Mentions of specific financial products or services do not constitute endorsements. Perform your due diligence before engaging with any financial offering. Listeners are fully responsible for their financial decisions and the podcast's guests, hosts, and affiliated entities are not liable for any financial losses resulting from actions taken on based on the provided contents.